0: OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Yeah. Well, like we like to do, uh, Tushar, we're already kind of started. We're already right into the thick of things. So uh, welcome to Ask an Angel. Thank you very much for joining us today from Delhi and uh, the best way for us to start is if you can give us a little bit of a background on where you've come from, the places you've been uh, (laughs) work-wise and what you're looking to do now and what you've been doing and going to do in the future and one thing about you that nobody would know.
1: That's a large number of questions, Jeff. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me and having me on your podcast. so, uh, where I have come from and what uh, is one thing about me, which uh, nobody would know. So, I was born in a small city, uh, but uh, my father has a transferable government job. So, uh, I studied in a convent school in a small city, uh, but my father is from India's best uh, institute, Indian Institute of Technology. So, he was always very focused on providing the best education. So he moved us to Delhi. And uh, from there, it's been uh, a journey of uh, doing my engineering, then doing my MBA in finance uh, from University of Delhi. And, uh, uh, you know, initially, I tried a business which was doing quite well in education, but uh, uh, I thought I should upskill myself more. So I joined uh, Deloitte and Touche. Uh, then I joined India's largest uh, venture capital fund by the name Brand Capital. Uh, you know, largest by the number of deals they do. And, uh, and uh, you know, uh, then, you know, there's a Russian telecom company, MTS, which is the largest telecom company in Russia, Sistema. I was heading their treasury in Delhi, raised almost $2.5 billion for them. Uh, Then I was chief financial officer of a company owned by Guggenheim Partners. Then I thought, uh, man, I have to do something for my own. So I started consultancy ventures. Uh, I Personally, I'm an investor in four companies, but uh, my company is more or less focused on getting funding for startups, for growth stage companies. Uh, and also getting funding for venture capital funds uh, through my network of angel investors. So this is my professional profile, uh, very short on my personal profile. Married, wife is a very senior investment banker uh, in uh, India's largest investment banking firm. So we talk finance at home all the time, which is quite boring. And uh, two kids and uh, happily married. And that's that's about it. So. Your other question was, uh, what is one thing about me, which no one knows, is I'm a great singer. I've always been on stage in all the colleges and uh, even in corporates where I work, they used to call me for singing. But uh, I like to sing uh, religious uh, songs, so that's the bad part. You know, it's, <laughs> it just doesn't add up when you are in a corporate life and singing, right? So. That's, awesome. I'm, that's I'm, awesome. I was born in the foothills of the Himalayas, uh, the mountains. So, uh, my best uh, vacation is go to the hills. Sorry for interrupt.
0: No, that's great. I, I'm uh, I'm a big uh, outdoors and mountain guy myself. So uh, I can appreciate wanting to get out, uh, get out there, and mix it up in the wilderness. So that's awesome. Um, right. So to go back to kind of some of the things that that you talked about earlier and, and some of the companies that you work for and work through. And of course, your background being more heavy in the finance side, I kind of want to explore how that really shaped you know the types of things that you're doing now for helping companies raise funds, but also um, how you've made investments into companies that uh, the approach that you've taken into investing in these companies. So if we go back to kind of even your entrepreneurial days when you're working through and before and after Deloitte, um, how did you find that your MBA and the background that you had? How much that helped you and the desire to work with and help early stage companies?
1: Okay, so, uh, so you know, you are asking me about uh, my uh, days around Deloitte and uh, during my entrepreneurial background and how my education helped me. Uh, so you know, I tell I would tell my children do an MBA, uh, any management course after working for some time because uh, the real value of that course uh, in terms of uh, maintaining control over a business uh, is actually when you know how to apply those things that you are learning out there. Uh, Having said that, uh, uh, a lot of these courses are case studies driven. They give you real life problems uh, to, to discuss and solve so, you know, my education was, uh, MBA was in finance, uh, and we were very heavy on learning all the aspects of finance. The teachers were really ferocious uh, those days. And uh, and uh, so, you know, I learned, I, I probably did uh, management in commerce plus management. So, you know, it was a lot of subjects and it did help me, but... Uh, my business was all about marketing. You know, it was a education company. It uh, I took it to annual eight hundred students, and uh, uh, you know those days uh, I could, uh, you know, I, everywhere I saw only positive. I thought you know eight hundred can be four thousand, it can be forty thousand, and uh, because I saw the growth from zero, and uh, and you know my time, a lot of my time actually went into talking to customers who were the parents uh, of the students and and the students and uh, finance uh, helped me a lot in terms of maintaining control over the cost uh, and also planning out uh, how much to put in in marketing see end of the day any CXO you talk to Jeff um, his main juice is cash flow you know, end of the day, the costs are there, the offices are there, the salaries are there, the cars are running. End of the day, if, uh, if your targets don't add up in terms of 25% growth, 100% growth, uh, you will really face a lot of problem on the cost side. And uh, you will face uh, pressures to restructure, to send out people. And that is a bad atmosphere for your culture, for your company culture, for Uh, maintaining the right spirit amongst your employees. And uh, so, you know, you have to really be focused on the cash flow, on the top numbers and uh, keep on driving them that, you know, just uh, exceed the targets, exceed the targets. And uh, that's what uh, real finance is for me. But having said that, uh, those who are in uh, finance incentive industries like investment banking or stock markets, for them, it is much more.
0: And you find that with the education of having an MBA or just having this um, understanding of uh, finance, that it's really helped you understand businesses better, that it helps you kind of be able to choose and pick which companies you think have the opportunity to grow? I've found it in past interviews, but also just in working with a lot of different bankers that they just have a different view on how companies work, and uh, I find that they they almost become their own grouping uh, of people that you can go after because they they tend to get startups better than the average person. I, I could lump in law- lawyers into that as well, but it just seems that anybody that's in finance just tends to have a better grasp and understanding of maybe it's the balance sheet and understanding how companies operate, and they can drive. In any industry, it doesn't matter where they get dropped into, they just have a really good understanding of the modeling and the business. Is that something that you found um, equates to good success in early stage investing?
1: So, does having knowledge of finance uh, make you a better investor? Uh, You know, just the capacity to read uh, balance sheets and the annexures deeply, uh, like investment bankers do. And uh, does it uh, give you a separate, uh, better perspective uh, towards companies? Uh, frankly, Jeff, it does. Uh, you know, uh, you don't need to go further than Warren Buffett. I mean, uh, in 2008, uh, he was approached by the U.S. Treasury, offering him, uh, you know, to sell Lehman Brothers. And uh, so this guy, you know, he's on a record to say that he spent two three, 2 3 days in his room closed the room uh, studied the entire 800 age uh, you know balance sheet and uh, the whole uh, uh, corporate booklet and un, un, you know calculated each number and he said this business does not make sense so so it does help uh, it does help uh, and uh, it, it you know i i just wish it uh, you know that it should not make uh, investment bankers and financial community negative because they tend to see more risks when they see the balance sheet and uh, they forget the positive side of it. I'll give you a very small example. Any software which is being developed or any uh, capital uh, work in progress can be counted as an asset in the balance sheet. Now, this is such a big uh thing because uh, you are creating something out there you feel it is a cost but end of the day, it is going as an asset to your balance sheet now uh, any financial guy can say that no this is actually just software so but you know of uh, you know uh, actually a businessman would know the real value of it as an asset so so you know that's that's what makes a difference uh, but um You know, I just hope that a lot of accountants, especially in the financial field, they tend to be a little bit more negative than others uh, because, uh, uh, you know, they just see numbers. There is a whole business behind it. You know, there is a whole, there are teams and there are market dynamics and there are possibilities and there are uh, possibilities of mergers and acquisitions of selling out the company. All that Jingman, you know. So um, that's that's my view about.
0: So, so there be beca- there becomes a lot of uh, uh, bias when you know the numbers because you also look at the business side Yeah. So it becomes a lot tougher for uh, uh, for a business to grow if they're always balancing everything off the numbers. And it's interesting because uh, I found that when a, a business is going through um, a reshaping or. Uh, a restructuring, I guess, is the better term. So, when a company is restructuring, they will always remove the sales CEO, the person that usually is the one driving the growth, uh, because that one's not working. And then they throw a CFO in there because they're going to do cost cutting measures. So, the CFO becomes the CEO, and their whole goal is to restructure the entire firm and then they will remove the CFO and put back in another top salesperson as the CEO because they want someone to aggressively grow the company. So uh, I completely agree with that. It's it's very rare that you fit someone in operationally. It still happens, but not as, as common. Uh, but there are different times in the growth of a company when you're moving different people into that uh, most senior role in the business. And really, CFOs tend to be the ones that are in the restructure and consolidation and reformatting the business. So I can totally understand where you're coming from that there's this point of view of, uh, it's great to know numbers, they get startups, but there's also a point where you need to pull them away from the business so that you can have someone drive in and grow the business. And that means that you need that growth CEO and not always looking at the numbers to grow.
1: Yeah, so I, you know, what you are essentially saying is that, uh, uh, you know, studying the numbers makes us more number centric and we forget the market uh, dynamics and the sector uh, dynamics behind. I fully agree with that. And, uh, and, you know, if you look at the performance of uh, CFOs as uh, CEOs, I don't have the exact data with me, but I'm 100% sure my experience tells me that uh, a marketing guy uh, who has a good CFO uh, is a better CEO, and uh, and because end of the day you need to control costs also, you know I was de- de- dealing with some African companies. Uh, these guys are generally not good in finance, and uh, they just uh, their their cost control is very bad. And uh, you know and today in today's markets uh, till the time you have uh, the value valuation benefit, uh, you know Vimeo listed recently on Nasdaq at a $9 billion valuation and it used to be a loss-making company. I'm 100% sure before getting the benefit of these valuations and this amount of money, they would have run a tight ship. And uh, that's where the CFO is handy. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, Tesla's uh, rise uh, to $900 billion valuation, uh, which is unimaginable uh, you know if you look at the market reports uh, there are a lot of uh, credit is being given to the cfo because uh, because elon musk is um, he's you know full of ideas and he would just uh, out of control so there has to be somebody who controls the entire thing in terms of maintaining a tight leash on the cost side and and that's where uh, so I won't underplay the role of a financial guy, uh, but end of the day, it is the marketing guy who, uh, the sales guy who gets you, and you read all those books uh, by IBM founders and General Electric, and uh, so you know they did it by marketing. They did it by expanding the business to new geographies, uh, you know, recruiting the right people, and uh, also. Uh, you know uh, putting the money where the uh, where the money where the dollar is and 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 that's i i think uh, that's the real win in uh, in this
0: business so is it safe to say that even in an early stage startup they should be looking at a part time cfo someone that can kind of come and help them structure their uh their PL or their balance sheets and just really to understand better of where they're going and help control that a bit better and instead of putting that weight on the CEO and expecting them to better understand their business is to really go and find one of those part-time CFO consultancies to bring somebody in to help you better understand the numbers when you're building out your company. So
1: what you're asking me that in startup and uh, early stage startups, would it be better if they have a CFO? Um, part-time my part-time is, CFO. Part-time CFO, okay. My view is they should definitely have a financial controller who maintains uh, control over the expenses. And uh, usually, the mistake which startups make is they don't differentiate between an accountant and a CFO. And uh, and you know an accountant uh, is good in uh, maintaining records, but uh, end of the day, uh, there has to be someone who makes a proper budget. And that budget has to be followed in discipline by the management. So you know, once you have laid out the budget for the entire year, then it contains uh, 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 revenue side also and cost side also. So it becomes a guidance for the market guys, marketing guys, and it also becomes a guidance for those who are spending the money. So you know, CFO's role is way beyond that. You know, so he. Uh, he's just not an accountant. Uh, with startups, uh, of course, you know affordability is an issue. So you very rightly said, Jeff, that uh, part-time CFO is a solution. And uh, yes, I fully agree with you that uh, there there has to be more weight on the CFO side on the finance side.
0: Oh, that's great, and and it reminds me of uh, of uh, in my first company, there was uh, we had grown quite quickly. And there was a a point where the costs and everything were just going through the roof. And I took a spreadsheet and I wrote down uh, all of the areas where the people fit on this Excel sheet. And they were either a cost or they were a revenue. They were bringing money in or they were a cost. And when I did that process, it was amazing to what I discovered. uh, Because as you're moving quickly, you don't realize that you could be just building up a lot of cost and not offsetting the revenues that are coming in and that the people may not be the right people and you may have too many people operating in that business line, uh, which is costing you a lot of money and you're not realizing the benefit because you're just adding people to solve problems, mini problems, but they may not be um, problems that are uh, long running. They could be short solved problems, maybe two, three months, but you've put somebody in there to solve it for years. And that becomes quite a heavy cost burden to the business. And you're not offsetting them on the revenue side. And once I did that, and this was 10, 15 years ago, I have not stopped doing that. So my whole brain just basically operates in a business model of putting people into the buckets, resources into buckets, so that I can understand where that conversion is going to be. So that going forward, as you continue to grow, it's not short-term growth. It's looking at long term, and can we sustain the role, or do we need to shift the way we're looking at that position and the material that and the resourcing needs, so that we can benefit on the spreadsheet or benefit in the um, the cash flow and the growth of the company? And it made a massive, you know, kind of wow, and I would really change the way you hire. It changes the way you perceive your business because if you can get it to seventy percent or sixty percent of your business um is on the growth side and it's paid for then you know you're always going to be able to offset that extra resourcing cost which is as you just mentioned that's the role of the cfo that's for a cfo to be able to help guide the ship and make sure that you are balancing the books but also ensuring that you're capturing that profitability so that your business does have a longer sustainability and growth uh, is that a, a fair kind of analysis to share that um when a cfo comes in they're not just taking records, they're literally guiding you through how to manage resourcing and cost structures so that you can build and grow into the future.
1: So what we have asked is whether a CFO's role is way beyond uh, just uh, calculating the numbers. And it's actually a case of how will the management manage resources? And especially uh, looking at resources from the point of view of uh, cash inflows or cash outflows, And uh, whether, uh, you know, building costs by adding resources in a particular side uh, is wise or making a right decision about that. So uh, I would say that uh, with the gig economy, with the culture of having more variable uh, amount in your salaries and uh, uh, less of fixed salaries and uh, outsourcing functions, you know especially those ones which are uh, not so critical to the company or uh, can be better managed uh, by a specialist company uh, and having competitive bidding for that uh, particular side uh, so you know all these uh, things uh, are actually and you know um, i really it stuck me jeff what you said right now uh, one thing which is google is known for Is that in spite of becoming so huge, it maintains a startup kind of culture where there is a lot of informal uh, atmosphere and uh, the company avoids making silos in which people work? Uh, You know, a friend of mine heads uh, Treasury of Asia in one of the largest US listed companies. I don't know whether I should name it. There is no founder in the company. It's run by a board of directors because it's a 100-year-old company. And it is so bureaucratic that the cost is out of control. You know, because people operate in silos and they need their own offices, their own cars, they need their own. um, And, you know, and uh, the budgets are out of line because nobody is in control. The finance says something, the other department says something, end of the day, uh, the one who has good weight in the board of directors prevails. And uh, so that is that is something which uh, uh, companies need to watch out for. We call it uh, the bureaucratic kind of company. And uh, and if you want to be nimble, if you want to be like a startup culture where decisions happen faster and the decision to recruit um somehow if you please don't mind i generally don't like the hire and fire culture uh, too much uh, although it uh, enables uh, companies to take faster decisions around the dynamics of the business but end of the day uh, if you are hiring somebody and firing in 3 months or 6 months there is someone who made a wrong decision so you are very right when you said that uh, you know the the cash flow part of uh, Deciding uh, where resources should be put in, where costs should be allowed, uh, is the right way of managing. Uh, Another acquaintance of mine, he joined a Japanese company in Singapore, uh, heads the entire APAC and from 2014 to 2019 in five years, he took the turnover from zero to $300 million. So my talks with him, you know, they have cash flow. The king is cash flow, you know, so uh, it allows you to be sane about uh, everything and um, maintaining a startup culture uh, in terms of uh, faster decision and less bureaucracy.
0: So very scrappy. Yeah. Make it happen and go quick. Uh, and and i think that's a a really good segment because i think a, a lot of startups may may jump into and i've seen this quite a few times that as soon as they get a few dollars in their raise they want to hire a whole whack of people and bring them in and start grinding away at the business but i think a lot of the times maybe they don't always take a look at who they're hiring and the value of those people and what that value is going to bring back to their business and i'm kind of more of a a slow hire but be a little bit more precise on that type of role so that that role grows within the business if the role isn't going to grow in the business and it's not something that's ever going to fill the shoes of uh, of a growth business then i think that that role should be a consultant role it should be uh, a part-time contract or a contract role that you know only has a shelf life of you know 3 to 5 months being that resources are the most expensive part of your business i think if the CEO or management team can focus in on what that role looks like, and does it look like a year-long role? Then I guess hire full-time for that year. But if you can't see past a few months of of operations, instead of feeding them with and wearing millions of hats, you'll save yourself a lot of dollars by just having them come in to solve that one problem, uh, put together a plan, or at least figure out who can take over that role in the future. Um, and maybe that gets tied into a a smaller role or someone else's role that already exists in the business and becomes more of a support feature for that uh, build-out, I think it'll save the the company a lot of dollars uh, on their cash flow side, but it'll also allow them to build up the key roles in the business versus building up many roles that they may not require in the next three to five years. And I think sometimes being junior in, in the world of hiring you may not see that in your business today. You just think that this role would be filled, not realizing that they're only working at a 20 to 30% capacity and that the role could have been merged into multiple roles under uh, some of your senior team at the, at the early stage that that is.
1: Yeah. So, um, so your question is that, uh, that, you know, um, hiring should be a wise decision and, uh, uh, if you are hiring uh, then uh, be very uh, wise about it and uh, have a strict uh, you know know your numbers well and uh, so you know i'll give you an example of snapdeal uh, in india the number one and two e-commerce companies have been uh, amazon and flipkart and flipkart was bought by walmart for 21 billion dollars uh, once upon a time uh, flipkart amazon and snapdeal they were competing for the number one slot. And Snapdeal had a 24% share. So, you know, it thought that uh, it could outpace Flipkart and Amazon. So, they just hired like crazy. You know, uh, from 500 people to 15,000. Uh, and, you know, they were seeing the valuation because SoftBank was in there, uh, cap table. And uh, and and you know, having SoftBank uh, meant that uh, the, you know, as I said, you know, you should have the cash from the valuations from the balance sheet. Uh, if your PNL is making uh, is bleeding the money, then you better have uh, the uh, you know money from the balance sheet. And uh, so it made very bad decisions. It bought a fintech company for three hundred million dollars, and four years down the line, it sold it for thirty million dollars. Uh, it uh, recruited 15,000 people, retrenched uh, almost uh, 13,000 of them in four years, three years and uh, so and you know so one of my cousins uh, is used to work there and uh, so you know it, generally uh, uh, loss of control over the business and uh, you know they were not, uh, putting money in the quality of the product so people who used to buy at snapdeal they said so many problems and uh, i could just go to snapdeal and point out 100 problems so you know they so so you know those were the uh, mistakes those are the mistakes which uh, startups make uh, in, in when they see a flood of money but end of the day uh, if you are not winning on the product side uh, if you're not winning in the market, your uh, your offering is bad uh, and you are not able to um, offer a better product than your competitors, then uh, you have to, uh, you know, money has to come from somewhere. So if it is not coming from your customers, it has to come from the stock market. It has to come from soft bank. So, <laughs> so cash flow again, you know. So uh, so that's that's what the point is.
0: Oh, and that's good. And I agree. There's a there's a lot of measures, especially as you start growing, that you have to keep in mind uh, as a startup or as a growth company. Uh, how you are balancing out that cash flow. I think it's very important. And I'm I'm glad that we uh, were able to touch base on that and talk through it because I think a lot of startups, again, they don't always have that understanding of the numbers. They don't really uh, really thoroughly dive into them. And I think as the business grows. They get a crash course on finance. They get a crash course on how to manage those. And uh, sure the CFO comes in, takes over that role. But I so heartily believe that it's so important for a startup, especially early on, that they learn and understand the numbers of their business. They understand what their product or service does and how it's growing. Because as they grow, they become further disconnected from the front lines of everything that's going on in their business in order to build that strategy. They really need to really understand that product, understand how the solution works, understand their customers and understand their finance because, and their marketing, because those are the pieces that when they become more senior and growth in that, in that business, they can start to look in and understand what kind of changes they need to, in order to make themselves sustainable.
1: Yeah. So, uh, so Jeff uh, is, you're asking that, uh, you know, uh, in, in the craze of uh, uh, early growth, uh, you should not be blinded by uh, the growth numbers and, uh, and you know, instead uh, keep on thinking about uh, your cost, your quality, your product, your... So, absolutely right. I would give you an example here. Um, Steve uh, was CEO of Microsoft. Uh, I forgot his full name. He bought uh, uh, uh in Nokia for seven billion dollars when Nokia had already lost the market uh to Apple and Android and uh Steve Ballmer
0: yeah yep Ballmer yep
1: yeah and uh and he said I won't allow my ms office on uh Android phones and uh, he said, Uh, I won't compete in the cloud market with uh, uh, Amazon uh, aggressively. So, you know, they were vanity decisions. Buying Nokia for $7 billion, thinking that the Nokia brand name can fetch you $7 billion. So these are are like decisions made by someone who's sitting in a glass house atop a 100-story building. And... uh, The new CEO who came in, uh, uh, Satya Nadella, uh, after he came in, he immediately introduced MS Office for Android. He said, uh, and he wrote off the entire Nokia Pi and uh, sold Nokia. And he uh, aggressively started, he led the marketing team for cloud and won a Pentagon contract. uh, so what I'm trying to say is that, uh, uh, you know, the startup uh, kind of culture, day, day zero mentality, you know, um, uh, this guy, Amazon's owner, uh, he his building where he works out of is called day zero. And uh, that kind of a mentality and not falling, you know, always being guided by the market and not falling for uh, vanity projects. Uh, China is a single government country. They fall in for vanity projects all the time. They want to make the biggest dam, uh, even if that doesn't make money, even it uh, even if it is in affecting the environment in the longer term. And uh, so you know, so that is uh, again, you know, uh, I think uh, uh, again having a leadership uh, who has created the company out of their own hands like uh, Steve Jobs had to be bought back by Apple, So, you know, uh, so somebody who who understands that it is because of the product that we are sitting at this position. It is because the market likes something we offered and uh, not because I am Steve Jobs. So so there has to be a lot of uh, uh, ground level thinking which uh, uh, has to be kept in mind. I love it.
0: And, and Tushar, there was, uh, it's interesting that you bring up that example because uh, Steve Ballmer has beat himself up for years and still does, that that was the worst decision he ever made, I believe. And he's done that on Seven podcasts and everything. Yeah, yeah, that it was uh, a pretty bad decision. And, and again, if I don't know if it came up that it was vanity Roll, but I'm sure it all played into it, uh, in the as you mentioned, in the glass house. And it's a great example of, again, doesn't matter where you go and how high you get, you still have to work with the team's that are in your business and organization, and come up with the right solutions, and believe in everybody, so that you can build up. And that doesn't matter if you're a team of five or a team of five thousand. It's really having a, a really strong view into your your business and where it needs to go. And that's what the leadership vision is: is where is this business going to go, and what companies I buy or what companies we merge with. And this happens in early stage companies too. There are opportunities uh, to buy companies. Uh, we have one. Uh, one company that was looking at a funnel and they wanted to build out a funnel into their business really early stage that we invested in. And uh, he ended up buying a a small, small product. And interestingly enough, that small product happens to be today, 60 or 70% of their current revenue. and they uh, But they use that to build up the growth behind their business. So they had to use this funnel to attract people in, which then would allow their function B to start growing. And like I said, right now, that that small purchase has made a huge difference in their growth and their business is going to continue to grow. They're dominating in this small product while their secondary product is now slowly p- getting picked up all because of the funnel that they purchased. So it doesn't matter where you fit into this stream. It's understanding where you want to go and carving a path to get there. So I think uh, on that side of, on that note, I think uh, that's been some great sharing. So I appreciate that. Awesome stories and uh, some great uh, direction there for, uh, for companies to think about when they're growing their business. Um, one thing I, I kinda wanna jump into, and, and, and you know, it's, uh, um, I'm gonna share one little quick story, and then we'll, I got a question for you, but in this journey that you're taking, uh, I like to equate, and you mentioned this being in the mountains, I like to equate this startup journey to being the journey of climbing a mountain. And when you go to climb a mountain, Uh, You start off at a base and it's usually uh, in the woods or some forest and you see the mountain in front of you and picture yourself as an early startup and this is where you're at. Well, there are a million paths that you can take to get to the base of the mountain. Lots of trails you're going to take. And it doesn't matter if you stop and gaze and look around. By the time you get to that base of the mountain, you could have taken 10 different trails. Uh, You'll be um, interacting with other people on that trail, interacting with animals, whatever it might be. But when you get to that base, what's changed now is that you finally have got your business through that MVP, you've got through these stages, uh, and now you need to envision what it takes to get to the top of that mountain. Well, the difference is, is that at the base, you're going to see three trails, because there's really only three trails that are going to get you up to the top. And as you're taking one of those trails, you'll realize that you may have chosen the wrong path, or you may have to divert and go back down to go back up on one of the other trails. And by the time you get to the top, there might only be one way to the top. And those are the things that you have to go through as a visionary and as a, a person building a company. But just remember that there's a lot of things that are gonna tackle you at the base of the mountain. And as you get better and stronger, they'll refine themselves down as you slowly build up that mountain. And uh, you know, the people that get to the top of that mountain or the businesses that get to the top, they're the ones that put the right strategy and the right plan and the right uh, financing and built the right team to get there. Uh, to support them all the way up so just something to keep in mind throughout this whole cash flow idea is that there's a million things that'll hit you but you'll keep refining it as you go
1: yeah so your analogy of comparing the startup journey with the climbing of a mountain uh you know seeing three paths uh, initially and as you go along probably you'll see one and the journey is still a long journey uh yeah you know i'm i'm a mountain guy you know i'm i'm a small city guy and uh, you know and uh, people who climb everest uh, some of them actually don't make it through uh, make it through life also so um, so you know but they still try and uh, and uh, you know and it's a years long journey you know uh, one of the guys uh, who owns a small fund he is a three times iron man and uh, i was so enamored by this guy i said he must have put in three years four years to become iron man you know and then uh, but you know uh, it, it's just uh, the drive to uh, you know one life the philosophy of one life uh, and day zero so and you know keep at it keep at it and uh, you know i i'll just uh, whenever i see spacex and i see the size of those rockets and i see elon passing by in videos and i imagine that how would he you know have felt seeing those rockets going up and uh, and it's mind boggling the rush of blood and uh, but at the same time it's a finance game it's a market uh, dynamics game so you have to be sane you have to be rooted love your family come back home have a good food <laughs> And enjoy nature, you know. So, so that's where the mountain comes. And uh, you are absolutely right. It's like climbing a mountain. And mountains are beautiful. So the journey does not has, it have to be uh, painful. The journey can be taking one step at a time, having the company of right people, recruiting the right
0: people. And uh, that's how it should be. I love it. And as you mentioned, you know, even climbing Everest, it's not one person. There's a lot of people that help you get that far. So it's a big team effort. Yeah, effort.
1: Yeah. For every one person who climbs the Everest, there are Gurkhas, Nepali Gurkhas, who would have climbed 25 times, helping others climb it. And uh, they just do it uh, as a matter of duty towards life. Agreed. uh, (laughs) So... So, you know, uh, you are absolutely right, uh, Jeff. Uh, it's, it's about climbing the Everest, actually.
0: I love it. Um, okay, we're going to transition into, and, and we're going to do a real quick story here. Um, if you have worked with, or you can think of, um, kind of this heartfelt story of a startup that you've worked with, or, you know, in that early stage of growth that really blew your mind on what kind of really it showed you what it takes to be an entrepreneur, so what they did to climb that mountain. And I'm just curious if you have any stories that, you know, you can reflect on or share about uh, a company that you know of, and you don't have to name names, but uh, of a company that just, you know, she uh, or he went all the way to the top and they were able to do something that just blew your mind and you didn't think they were, they were going to make it. You thought they ran out of gas and they were just able to turn it on. And maybe through COVID that allowed them to really escalate their business or, Uh, You know, there's always the reverse stories, but just looking for something that helps people really understand what it takes to be an early stage company.
1: Yeah, so you're asking me uh, any one example of someone who toiled through and uh, also faced a lot of hardships and uh, made it uh, in the end. I will give you the example of Shridhar Vembu. He's the founder of Zoho. Uh, And Zohu has never raised a single penny from any investor in his entire journey. And it's a unicorn. And uh, the good part about him, you know, Jeff, he, uh, whichever villages he came from, he has built offices. He has taught those people how to write software. uh, And, you know, they are so committed to him because he developed an entire community uh, back where he came from he gave it back in the true sense. And, um, and you know, maintaining a, a billion dollar company and uh, still uh, happy customers, uh, you know, it calls for a lot of devotion. He must be working like you like 20 hours a day. And, uh, and I'm sure, you know, so this year the government of India gave him the third highest civilian award, the Padma Shri. And it's a big thing. Businessmen generally don't get such awards uh, and in India. So I was really happy, you know, I was like uh, that, you know, this man, uh, he just came from a very small family, no money, and he did education and he came back, built uh, these villages and offices around them. And he crossed the unicorn status. And now he's in the technological advisory committee of the government as well. So I think of him and I feel that uh, this is the guy, uh, you know, I would advise a lot of people to be.
0: Sounds like a pretty, uh, pretty famous and pretty amazing person. Even back to humanity, that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, enable uh, them to do the jobs and make a living. So, you know, the best part you can give anybody is to make them educated. And uh, so that's what I like about it.
0: I agree with that. I agree. Um, Okay, we're going to transition into our rapid fire questions. So, first question. How did you get started in investing in startups?
1: I got started uh, because uh, I... um, Uh, My father really wanted to open an education business and uh, he was offering me uh, the initial money support and uh, I had already completed my studies and uh, that's how uh, the first investment happened in an education company and the success of that early in my life taught me the value of uh, creating something which uh, people are adopting, which customers are liking and that high uh, it just uh, you know i i could never forget
0: i like it uh what's your favorite part of investing The
1: favorite part is uh, seeing the startup founders thinking that uh, raising uh, equity funding and talking to investors is a science and uh, and you know they uh, read so much and they see so much of news and you know uh, it's like uh, Uh, You know, you have to really calm them down, cool them down, tell them, take it easy. Uh, You know, how much have you learned? Uh, You can really learn more. So that's what the favorite part, you know, talking to startup founders and investors.
0: I like it. Uh, How many companies do you invest in per year?
1: One. One. I'm a very reluctant
0: investor. I invest in one one every year. Okay, perfect. Um, Any verticals you like to focus on?
1: i really love fintech but uh, having said that the top 3 in india in fintech have already come so uh, they they have the valuations they have millions with them so um, so you know so like uh, it, it's very it becomes very difficult to find a fintech company and believing that it can keep on raising millions to compete with the top 3 so that's the challenge out here yeah.
0: is there any due diligence requirements that you look for before making a commitment
1: Yeah, uh, being in India, there are three uh, basic due diligence apart from the accounting side, which uh, any company would do it. Um, I really, uh, uh, you know, I have some agencies with me who go to the city of the founder and uh, talk to the customer and also uh, do a little bit of research on the background of the founder and uh, talk to the, you know, I personally somehow meet uh, distributors and customers and understand the product from them as to how fast it is selling why are they not ordering a lot for their warehouses and um, so you know i do that kind of a thing it does gives me um, a lot of confidence and uh, it it makes me more confident about the money i'm putting in
0: i like it uh, any Any things that really kind of top the investment like that you get behind that you really like to see? Is it the team? Is it the CEO? Like the product? Is there something that stands out that gets you to cross the line and say, you know what? I'm in.
1: So sometimes Jeff, what happens is uh, I learned it from you the other day that uh, the team is first and product is second. So sometimes what happens is you're sitting with the founder and uh, you just want to keep on talking about uh, their business and uh, that is the first hint to me that these guys have answers to everything so if you have told them three negative things about their company uh, they would give you a good answer to that that they have thought it through and you know and it's like the other person telling you we have it under control so so that's what i love you know and uh, and you know again it matches with uh, your prescription of
0: Founder first. Okay, I like that. Uh, do you like to lead rounds? Sorry, I didn't get you there. Do you, do you like to lead rounds? Like, be the lead investor? Um, uh, that's a very tough one. You know, I uh,
1: it's not easy to lead rounds because uh, you are actually uh, lending your name uh, to an investment round and. Uh, and, you know, uh, 90% of the investors I meet, uh, they tell you that uh, get a term sheet and we'll come. And uh, so, so you know, I, I'm not very sure about leading rounds, uh, although I've done it once. Uh, and uh, I don't ask me whether I regretted it or not.
0: I like it. I love leading rounds because I have convictions. If I'm in, I'm in. So I want to make sure that uh, we get the success and push it forward. But you know, sometimes it's uh, sometimes it's better to get a lot of people to come in, and we can do that after. But uh, I think, like anything, you just gotta push it forward and make it happen because someone's always waiting for someone else to make it happen. And I don't like waiting for other people; it takes too long. So, <laughs> but that's how we work. Everybody's a little really, different, right?
1: You know, that's I really compliment you for that, Jeff.
0: Appreciate it. Uh, do you have preferred terms? Like, do you like pref shares, common shares? Uh, safes, are there certain terms that you like to go for when you make an investment?
1: I would ideally like like to do a prep share, but where I am totally convinced, I straight away take equity. I don't take any chance uh, what the valuation might be later on.
0: Okay. Do you take board seats?
1: No, no, I don't take board seats, I take an observer seat on the board.
0: Perfect. Well, at least you're part of the board, that's what matters. So you still get at least an option. Yeah, that's
1: very important.
0: Okay, before I get to the next question, can you explain to the audience what a board board observer seat is, just so that people understand? Because I believe it's kind of a newish term that people don't understand so much outside of taking a board role, what a board observer role does for them, and why it's a benefit to the startup, but it's also a benefit to you and your investors.
1: So a board observer is someone who knows the entire happening uh, in a board of directors you know it's not only about the minutes of meeting uh, he, uh, he, ha- he personally sees uh, whatever happened who spoke what uh, where the decision making is helping uh, and uh, what are the facts coming from uh, the company which are being presented to the board and what is, what is the board hiding So uh, so that's what the role of an observer is
0: So, the great thing with the uh, observer role is that they don't, it's not a fiduciary responsibility. It's not tied in like a board of directors is. And because you're sitting on the outside, you can still offer an opinion, you can still share information. But at the end, you're there just to see how everybody is coordinating and what's going on in the business. So, it still allows you to participate. Similar to a board of directors, but without the fiduciary responsibilities. So it's it's still a significant role, and it still allows you to participate without having the accountability side of of someone that's signed on the dotted line. Very
1: well put, Jeff. I yeah, wish
0: I had your um, <laughs> had your words. Well, it's a, it, for me. It's it's pretty powerful. We we uh, we try to get these types of things in companies too, because we feel that just like you, being able to be sitting there on the outside and looking in and being able to offer that help is just as valuable as being signed on a dotted line and working inside the inside of the business. So uh, I think it carries a lot of value and, and startups need to understand these things because um, a lot of them don't tend to to go in that direction and they should open up a lot more because that help is what's going to help them grow. So kudos to you for for doing that and taking those roles. It, I Thank think it's significant. Much appreciated. So now we're going to kind of go into the personal side uh, questions. So what do you mean? You never told me that. Oh, these are this. This is the fun part.
1: I was <laughs> warming you
0: up, warming you up to these. <laughs> All you. right, Thank first you. question. Yeah. What is your favorite sports team?
1: Uh, my favorite sports team. Uh, it has to be uh, the one where Michael Jordan used to pay for. Uh, Chicago. Yep. uh, The Bulls. Chicago Bulls. And I I just saw this guy and, you know, he just has that confidence that he will do it at the last moment, you know. And, and, you know, I've seen a lot of uh, cricket and soccer and uh, uh, cricket is not so much there in the US and Canada. uh, But, you know, there was a point where if I compared sports personalities across sports and then I could... Give you one or two names that you know they are the real sportsmen, and uh, and that's that's the you know Chicago Bulls. I think uh, uh, that's that's the
0: amazing team. All right, we'll take it. Um, all right, what is your favorite movie, and what character would you play in it?
1: Uh, you will laugh at it, you know. If I tell you what's my favorite movie, it's as good as it as you get.
0: The movie's called.
1: As good as it gets.
0: As good as it gets. Yeah.
1: And, okay. uh, and uh, you know, there was the role of this, uh, uh, this uh, psych- psychotic uh, guy who, you know, uh, counts steps every time and counts the number of uh, plates. And, uh, you know, and it was like, I couldn't take my eyes off. And, you know, I just, I must have watched it like 20 times.
0: All right. I'm going to watch this movie because I don't know if I've seen this one yet. As good as it yeah, gets. It's amazing. All right, amazing. I'm looking it up. Uh, okay, what is, your, what is your one superpower?
1: My superpower is, I don't know why I have this thing. I'm really good at helping people. And you know, sometimes I will just keep on talking to some new client and keep on guiding him, do this, do that. You know, it is not benefiting me. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm taking away time from my office but uh, i don't know i have this thing why i do it uh, i don't know why but it's been since uh, since childhood and uh, and you know sometimes uh, uh, when i was starting my business in 2014 uh, i was really told by a lot of close people that uh, you spend a lot of time helping just put more time in the business and uh, <laughs> so i had to little bit cut down this thing uh, and uh, it's something which comes naturally to me.
0: That's good. Strong empathy then. That's good. Towards yeah, people. I empathy. love it. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm going to take a question, which today will be the inaugural question. This will be the first time I've asked this question. Um, and it Don't actually came from our conversation the other day because I was that intrigued by the question. And I figured I should try and ask you the question because you kind of asked it to me. But what is the secret sauce to your... To early stage investing. One thing that you would say is the secret sauce to your early stage investing?
1: You know, there's this uh, guy who did his aviation engineering from uh, Moscow. Uh, He came back to India because one of the big uh, businessmen in Moscow, the brothers, they said, You set up an aviation academy here in India. When I met him, uh, this guy can reach a minister without spending a rupee because he's a hustler, you know, so this word hustle, I've seen a real hustlers, you know, he would just uh, do something and manage to make it happen. And, uh, you know, these are, I don't like the aviation academy business, frankly, but if I had the money they were asking, which was too much, $2.1 million, um, probably I would have put it on this one line. And, uh, you know, he's, he just, uh, and, you know, later on, he told me he went and saw Aurora Borealis. He went to the coldest, uh, city in Russia, uh, Omnipon, And, uh, this is the guy I want, uh, as a CEO. If you are running a $5 million aviation, academy, you are buying aeroplanes, you have to service the aeroplanes, they might fall down. And, uh, so, you know, th- I really love those guys. Uh, and. Uh, you know, who make it happen and uh, no matter what.
0: I like it. So it's the hustle, it's making it happen. Getting things done.
1: He wanted to meet the aviation minister of India who was known to be a high flyer, who had bought 200 aeroplanes for the government air air company, uh, uh, flight uh, the aerospace company. So one guy gave him an assurance didn't, uh, the thing didn't happen. He just went to the village, uh, of the constituency, the political constituency of the aviation minister, met the party guy, came back to Delhi and met the minister. So amazing, man. (laughs) I mean, so
0: (laughs) I love it. I love it. Who does it? Right. I think that that hopefully not everybody will have the same answer, but I I have a feeling that everybody's secret sauce will be the hustle, but you're right. It it makes a big (laughs) difference in Uh, You know, We work on all of these things that we share that startup founders should do X, Y, Z, or they should be uh, driven, all this stuff. But I think at the the end of the day, you're just looking to see how much this person can hustle and how they can get to where they need to be and how clever they can be to get there. And I think that's what you're investing in. You're investing in the person that won't take no, and they're going to find out how to get the yes, and they're going to take whatever it goes to get around that corner, to get on that corner, climb that mountain to get there. So uh, I, I uh, wholeheartedly believe that that could be the secret sauce to everything, but uh, I love it. That's great. Well, Good. thank you. Shushkar, thank you very much for all your time today. You've been fantastic. I've learned a lot. I took lots of notes as I always do and uh, a big fan. So I appreciate that. You've shared a lot of great insights today. And uh, the way we like to end the show is we like to give you the last word. So anything that you want to share to the community investors or startups We give you the last word, but then thank you again for all your time and sharing today.
1: Jeff, I would like to thank you so much. Uh, It's my third interaction with you every time. It's been so smooth. You are a really friendly guy and uh, you are, you know, you actually do what you think and uh, you do it very openly. You know, you are a very natural guy. So, uh, so I really love it. Uh, I hope for more interactions and uh, thank you for calling me today as well. And, uh, uh, you know, before closing, I can just say uh, to startup founders, uh, listen to less of media and talk to more of relevant people in your business. And, uh, and because, you know, uh, if you type startup on Google, there is so much of uh, data. There is, there is so much to read and you can be affected by a million views and forget to talk to the right person and uh and that's uh, so you know, like people say, mentor and all. okay, fine. Have a mentor or whatever. But just go and talk to the right people. So this is my advice to the aspiring founders out there, and uh, also to investors, uh, be a little less on your glass uh, houses and go out there and talk to uh, youngsters. You know, you'll learn a lot.
0: I love it. Great advice again. Tushar, you're a good man. Thank you very much for everything you shared today. Great job.
1: My pleasure, Jeff.
0: Okay, that was a a, a great great uh, discussion with Tushar from uh, Delhi. Uh, shared some great insights on the finance side, on the fintech side. You really can't go wrong with that. Um, really shared the difference between you know revenue and cost side, and how to to really balance out the P and L, but understand what you're selling and how you go after the market. So. Uh, and a grand i love the secret sauce it's about the hustle and, and he's so true on that so thank you very much everybody for joining please like share comment and we're excited to uh to get into the next the next interview but thank you for joining us today